Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that laughs in the face of politics, only for politics to laugh with it, causing me to say, no, wait, we were definitely laughing at you. This is episode 122, I'm Tin and Duyeb, and this week, as Prime Minister and half-woman, half-superglue accident Theresa May says she'll campaign with heart for her Brexit deal, I want to know if she's going to keep it in the pickle jar it's usually in, or wear it round her neck like a squishy medallion. May's deal has been approved by all 27 EU member states, probably because they thought, finally, it's payback time, we really want to see what happens in the UK if we kickstart this shitstorm. It only took them 38 minutes to sign off on the deal because, you know, there's a lot of types of popcorn that you could choose to eat while watching and that takes some hefty discussion. It didn't just take the possibility of heads of state laughing hysterically at us for years to get the deal agreed, though. The past week has seen the Prime Minister bending over backwards, or whatever her rigid equivalent is, I don't know, sort of very slightly tilting to one side, in order to push it through. France and Germany demanded the EU reiterate that Brexit has consequences and stop the UK just claiming victory, which, I mean, have they met our Prime Minister? She'd blindly claim victory if this deal meant the UK give the EU all its money in return for a Belgian waffle for everyone. May would be at the podium in front of number 10 within minutes insisting Belgian waffles and extreme poverty were what people voted for before announcing some sort of waffle parade where thousands of people trudged down Whitehall in the rain while trying not to get chocolate sauce everywhere. France and Germany complaining that EU negotiator and man who always looks like he's about to tell you he's now fine after his accident all thanks to his insurance plan, Michel Barnier, complaining that he was too light on the UK seemed to work, which must have baffled many of those British politicians who'd spent the last two years being angry that Barnier was far too harsh on us and trying to subvert whatever it was they believed in at the time. Could it be (gasps) that the UK was actually just terrible at negotiating? What? And that when you have experts like warm fart on a cold day, David Davis, or barely sentient jerky Dominic Raab, then asking them questions such as how are you or what's your name probably do seem quite harsh. So a draft agreement on the UK-EU relations was released, a full 26 pages, to say that both parties had agreed to potentially agree on things that they may or may not agree on depending on if other people agree on them or not, or agree to not agree on, after which everyone will agree to disagree, rendering all this work completely and utterly useless. 
The agreement mainly seems to hammer down on May's insistence that freedom of movement will be ending, as though it's more important than anything else to make sure that people can't come here when we all know that after Brexit they probably won't want to anyway. Hey, you! Don't even think about trying to find work in our country that won't have any work in after we've sabotaged it, because we've made sure you can't do that thing that we don't have. Ha! Take that, idiots! The agreement also referred to using technology that doesn't exist to make sure that the Northern Irish backstop isn't used, because what better base to determine the future of a nation on than the idea that if we keep shining torches into the sky, maybe an alien race will pop down to give us special equipment so you can look into trucks with an invisible moon gun or something. The bit that's caused particular upset, though, is a section about a new fishing agreement that would allow EU countries to still have access to our waters, which Brexiteers say is a surrender to France, something that could not only affect the British fishing industry, which is, you know, a genuine concern for about five people who actually eat the fish that live here, but it would also stop a whole load of xenophobes from being able to use their outdated slurs about the French always losing. And so, accusations that the EU were screwing over the UK started all over again as all those who previously claimed we'd had to leave as the EU don't look after their member states got really angry that the EU were looking after their member states. But the political agreement non-document wasn't enough to persuade all the EU heads of state, probably because it wasn't really anything. And in order to get them to sign off on it, May also had to concede to Spain's demands and give a written confession that Gibraltar won't necessarily be covered by any of the agreement that may not happen anyway, leaving the island where 96% voted to remain very much the rock in a hard place. But Gibraltar isn't the only sandbag that's been thrown from the hot air balloon so that the government can survive their directionless journey. The Prime Minister was dishing out knighthoods last week like you might if New Year's seems an unattainable goal, handing one to John Hayes, a Eurosceptic Tory MP who looks a lot like Tom Hanks in a brutal hall of mirrors, and one who is ambiguous about whether he'd be backing May's deal. Hayes says that the honour has absolutely no bearing on how he'll vote in the Commons, which, no, it probably doesn't, but that's because honour doesn't seem to have much bearing on how many MPs do anything anymore. Political party for Death Eaters, the DUP, played their kingmaker card by saying they may revisit their confidence and supply deal with the Conservatives on account of it currently being more a no-confidence and sorry-we're-out-of-stock deal at the moment. Revisit is a very polite way of saying that you're considering killing it off. I mean, it is amazing how an extremely religious Protestant party like the DUP managed to make allying with them seem like a pact with the devil. Though that is, of course, assuming that the Conservatives have a soul to bargain with in the first place. After the DUP refused to back some of the government's amendment to the finance bill, the Conservatives then had to quietly drop plans for a ban on high-powered military rifles to stop the gun-toting Christians from kicking off. Yes, the Conservatives had to stop a ban on guns to avoid being shot down. The DUP conference also took place this weekend at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Belfast, and not, as I assumed, on the steps of Giant's Causeway, as they all just shout things they don't like at each other, trying to be louder than crashing waves. As well as lots of talks from people who make smiling look painful, one of the lowlights was a speech by eroded beach ball Boris Johnson who insisted the UK have to junk the backstop. Which sounds a lot like a bad euphemism or a Rock the Casbah parody track. But instead it's just Boris's new phrase that he'll say a lot until next week when he thinks of another one that people also don't like. Boris says the government have a can't-do attitude to Brexit, which must be why he really left the cabinet as finding out your speciality isn't exclusive is pretty tough. So now May has to sell the deal to her MPs and the British public, and so far her tactic to do that is to say that rejecting her deal will lead to division and uncertainty. How's that meant to win people over? That's all we've had for two years, and it's almost just how things are now, so of course people will reject your plan, they all fear change. 
Many Conservatives say they'll vote against it, as do the Lib Dems and SNP, and Labour leader and pauper smurf Jeremy Corbyn says his party will not back May's deal because it is the worst of all worlds. Which makes me really glad he doesn't write any sci-fi because, well, it'd be shit. I mean, imagine a lead character going through a hellmouth or portal into da-da-da and a really boring paragraph on fishing boundaries. Actually, to be fair, right now all of this does make the Upside Down or the Worst Timeline or Bizarro World seem like a holiday retreat. One that you can't go to without a visa due to the ending of freedom of movement, of course, but still, a holiday retreat. May says she's considering a TV debate with Corbyn about Brexit because there's obviously some sort of government drive to get people going outside more. If May was really keen to get the public backing her deal, her promise of not being on telly between now and next March would go down an awful lot better. In other news, British academic Matthew Hedges, who was given a life sentence in the United Arab Emirates for spying, has been pardoned and freed. Either this is a success down to the hard work of Foreign Secretary and startled paintbrush Jeremy Hunt, or more likely the UAE realised that if they didn't free Hedges, they'd have to see a lot more of Hunt, and really, it wasn't worth it. Shadow Chancellor and haunted Joe Biden, John McDonnell, received lots of criticism for saying that he could not be friends with the Conservative because he couldn't forgive them for all the human suffering they've caused. And that's fair. I mean, they'd be rubbish friends. They'd probably avoid doing anything to give you any benefits. They'd borrow far too much off you, even though they keep saying that they haven't. They'd regularly goad you into doing very dangerous things you didn't want to do. And they keep trying to give you cuts. Sounds awful. I don't want to be friends with the Conservative either. But to be fair, I also don't really want to be friends with anyone anymore. I've got enough friends, thanks, and not enough time. I'm so tired. I'm so, so tired. And lastly, political party for people who would join the EDL but there isn't a branch nearby and it's cold outside, UKIP, have signed up far-right activist and clump of spam and hair Tommy Robinson as an advisor on rape gangs and prison reform. I'm guessing for the former, he'll be explaining how rape gangs can operate more effectively if he gets them freed by disrupting their court cases, and on the latter, he'll be talking about how he said he was mentally tortured while in prison for contempt of court by not having access to a TV, despite then talking about how he enjoyed watching Love Island while in there. Though, to be fair, watching Love Island is mental torture. On one hand, this is UKIP's attempts to appeal to the far-right, very racist online crowd, but also it could just be a smart move to show that they're promoting work for British people by giving a job to Tommy Robinson, his real name Stephen Yaxley-Lennon, and his alias Andrew McMaster all at once. Former UKIP leader and infected wound Nigel Farage has expressed anger at the party's new appointment, calling Robinson a thug. But hey, I guess it's a bit like when you're newly single and you check Facebook and your ex has already moved on and got themselves a younger trash partner instead. Former presidential candidate and garbage pail kid Hillary Clinton has possibly started her 2020 campaign by telling Europe to curb immigration to stop right-wing populism. No, no one should take advice from her on how to stop right-wing populism. She shitted it. It's literally the thing that she failed at. It's like General Custer handing out winning battle tips or safe driving lessons from Ant McPartlin. And former Prime Minister and number four ranked classic villain of all time, Margaret Thatcher, is eligible as a scientist that could feature on the new £50 note. And hey, I think that's fair, as she's very famously credited with discovering how to create a public services black hole. Greetings, Parpol Brods. How are you faring? Uh, if any of you have any solid suggestions for how humans could feasibly hibernate, I'm thinking it involves a stockpile of takeaway curry or something, um, then please do let someone important know, someone that could actually do something about it. I don't really know who that is, actually, to be fair, in the current state of things. I'm, I'm not sure that seasonal affected depression is a proper thing, but only because I'm pretty sure that doesn't everyone just feel shit when you look outside and the sky is given up? 
Is that a specific condition or isn't that just shitty winter, shitty endless winter? I mean, I've found that when my daughter wakes me up at 5.30am and it's still pitch black outside, that it honestly, it doesn't matter how many coffees I shoot into my eyes, everything in my brain tells me that I still need to be in bed and probably not leave it until some point in March. This morning, it was so cold in our flat that there was a ladybird in the middle of our living room carpet, completely still. And I assumed it was dead, picked it up and popped it by the warming radiator, and it seemed to defrost and fly off. I mean, how is that possible? My home has become a potential location for a really, really boring Jurassic Park sequel where they only recreate aphids. Yeah, imagine that, Chris Pratt just herding aphids. Oh, yeah, look, this is my chat this week. I've been mostly indoors uh, for several days trying to fill out an Arts Council funding application, which is, without a doubt, the most boring thing I've ever done, aside from watch Philip Hammond's budget speeches. Um, Though the weekend was broken up with a very, very fun How Does This Politics Thing Work Then Kids Show in Colchester um, at the lovely Arts Centre there, and that was our last show for the year before we've got 11 more dates next year. Very exciting. Um, And during that one, it was pretty good. Uh, The children voted for a Green Party government with a Lib Dem opposition, and they thought it best that no-one got instead of just a few people having them. So uh, that's the future, people. A sweetless, weird, green Lib Dem future where presumably we're in the EU and environmentally friendly but either have two leaders or no one that wants to lead. A four-day working week but possibly also an opposition with only three people in it. Good luck to them, I say. Good luck. Oh, and I completely forgot it was Black Friday, obviously, wasn't it? Uh, which is a shame, as I like to watch people in shops tear each other for shit deals. There's some sort of preparation for the future when we're all going to be fighting for water. Yeah, good times. But I'm pretty sure the political outlook for the Colchester of the future isn't why you've tuned in or uh, Black Friday hot takes. So thank you for picking this show for your weekly pod devourings, despite knowing... Um, yeah, it's pretty much all going to be Brexit. All of it this week. Even the interview. Even the I know you're thinking that that's normally a bit of respite. No, even the interview is Brexit, people. And the bit at the end that no one listens to. Oh, hang on. What, you've switched off already? Oh, I probably shouldn't have said it's all Brexit. Oh, dear. Oh, I'm hoping you're not all bobs, as Jeremy Hunt called them. Board of Brexit, uh, which really, that name really dampens Bob the Builder for me. Can we fix it? It's unlikely. But really, there's not much else to mention this week, um, apart from Brexit. You know, the only other bit of news is walking advert for erectile dysfunction, Christopher Chope, still being a massive arsehole. And I used up all my descriptions of him last time he was still being an arsehole. So, it's all Brexit this week, um, apart from, obviously, the thank yous. Thank you to uh, Eckhart for the Kofi donation, which was very, very kind of you. Um, and actually, I'm going to get back to the donation in just a minute. But, um, firstly, I promise I don't actually shoot coffee into my eyes. But, hey, if it works for butts, am I right? What am I talking about? No idea. But if you would like to buy me a coffee, like Eckhart did, and seriously, I need an awful lot of the moment. I'm up at, like, 5.30 in the morning. Then you can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash bro. And if you want to do a more monthly donation, then you can head to patreon.com forward slash bro, which I notice is rapidly losing donations, um, which is totally fair. Look, if you can't afford to sponsor this weekly screaming session, um, that is fine and completely... Honest. I can't. I can't afford to do it. I don't do it. I'm not my own Patreon. What kind of chump would do that? I mean, I mean um, yeah, uh, I can't. Anyway, um, but look, please let me know uh, if there's a good reason you can't do Patreon. For example, it being stupidly in US dollars or any other reason like that. I am looking into other avenues to sponsor this show, so if it's a pain, let me know. Um, thank you also to whoever reviewed the show on iTunes. That's much appreciated. And 
look, please do take, I know I ask this lots, but please do take two minutes to do the same, if you can, even just the star rating. I mean, it's really boring, but I've noticed, because I'm a nerd, that shows with 200 plus reviews on iTunes get a big boost on the Apple Podcast page, and that's very helpful. And this show is currently on 125 reviews. So, hey, look, just 75, you need to get on board. You could write anything. I mean it, you could write anything and just give it five stars and help the show out. Seriously, you could just totally write, Christopher Chope looks like if a sad brick was trying to wear a disfigured Bob Holness mask and leave it at that. I'd be very happy with that. Probably more happy than I should be. Um, But back to uh, Eckhart's very kind donation. I wanted to just say more about this uh, because Eckhart's message on the Kofi page simply said, thanks from Hamburg, which made me go and check the old stats page, you know, the old classic stats page for this pod thing. And there are quite a lot of you out there listening all across Europe, which is very nice to know, um, except in Moldova. Only one person has listened once in Moldova. So seriously, unless you buck up your ideas, Moldova, I'm going to be contributing to your record of being least visited European country. And that is that. Um, But if you are a European listener, then first uh, Danka or Danku or Mercy or you know the other ones that I don't know um, and also I'd love to know how you feel about Brexit from where you are do you give much of a shit is it just hilarious and great to have someone else to laugh at or is it just awful I'd love to know your thoughts even if it's just one sentence or one word or an emoji um, please do email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com or via the contact form on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk and I'll collect them all um, if I get any and read them out on a future episode um also, uh, a quick call out to any transcribers out there. Um, previously, uh, for the sort of 12 of you that ever checked the website, um, I think I genuinely think it is only about 12 of you. Uh, loads of nice listeners on this podcast. I think 12 of you ever bothered to look at the website. Ah, <laughs> oh, the joys of the internet. Um, for the 12 of you that ever bothered to look at the website, uh, I've previously had all interviews transcribed and put the scripts up there, and that stopped happening because um, my wife was doing it, and she now has to go back to work and childcare and life and winter and Christmas and um, so if any of you uh, like hearing words and typing up at the same time and are willing to do that for little to no money, yeah, take that gig economy, zero hours and shit, I'm offering even less, um, then basically if you just like to do it as a favour to the podcast, then I would hugely appreciate it. Um, and please do get in touch and drop me an email, even if there's an old episode you don't mind doing uh, or just one current episode, any of it is a massive help. In theory, I'd love to get the whole lot done one day. Um, that is why that's a thing. Okay, so on this week's show, I'm speaking to Lara Spirit from Our Future, Our Choice about, yes, Brexit. I told you, it's all Brexit. And then after that, there's Brexit Fallout, which is, of course, about Brexit. And, of course, there's not even any headlines because it's all just Brexit. Brexit, 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 Brexit. Oh, God, people, this is where we are. Look, here's a fucking jingle. Brexit It's a bit like when I was at school and we got a class detention because a handful of shitty kids acted shitty and then they bunked the detention anyway and we got penalised for it with a further detention and they still didn't turn up to that either. Britain is in an eternal detention that we don't deserve, with our Prime Minister writing meaningless lines that no one enjoys or wants to like and it won't help that she's insistent that it's the best for all of us. It was announced today that the People's Vote campaign have calculated that Theresa May's Brexit deal will cost the UK £100 billion by 2030. And to show what a crappy deal it is, there's not even been one ridiculous MP popping up to say, actually, there's only £100 million per year, so pretty good deal overall. No, no one said that. Not even Brexit Secretary Steve Barclay. And he's so nothing looking that he could say it, leave, and no one would really be sure that anything had happened. May is insistent it's the only deal we have because, well, it's the only one she could come up with. And when you spent two years and all you've got to show for it is this lousy deal shit, then maybe everything needs a bit of a rethink. But what else could be done? 
Well, this week, I thought, as well as me wanging on about it all, it'd be nice to speak to someone else about Brexit. Someone who's optimistic that there are options to change this so it's not just, as David Davis predicted earlier this year, not as bad as Mad Max. So I interviewed Lara Spirit, who firstly has an excellent name and also is the co-president of Our Future, Our Choice, a campaign who believe remaining in the EU is the only good option for young people. 73% of young people voted to remain, more young people who are now eligible to vote but weren't at the time are against a Brexit, and at some point, sadly for them, they're all going to be older people that are going to have to deal with it like the worst hand-me-down present ever. OFOC have been a very vocal anti-Brexit group, having a large presence at the People's Vote March, the Conservative Conference, the Labour Festival, and across many news programmes on radio and TV. They've recently launched a battle bus and a Northern Ireland team, and this weekend they're in Brussels taking blowtorches to May's deal, which probably kept them warm in the cold weather, proving that maybe, just maybe, it does have a use. So, I asked Laura why Brexit is going to affect young people so much, if a people's vote is actually feasible, what other options there are, and just how many copies of May's deal would I need to blowtorch to keep my flat warm till March and save on my heating bills. Okay, I didn't ask the last one, but I reckon it's about 650, and look, there should be that many copies spare in about a couple of weeks. Here is Lara. So a lot of people are unhappy with May's Brexit deal. I don't really, I haven't read anyone really that's happy so far, apart from a couple of uh, cabinet ministers. But obviously, our future, our choice are also unhappy. Um, there's loads of reasons why May's deal uh, isn't liked. But what are OFOC's issues with it? So I suppose we share in everybody's hatred for the deal. But I think we also think that there are some specific issues which affect young people more. I think the main thing is that young people are going to be the people who will be living with this decision for the longest. So whatever consequences that come from this deal, they will be the ones who will be feeling those for the for the most time. Uh, but I also think other things like uh, Erasmus and various educational opportunities, the opportunity to live, work and love in 27 other EU countries. These are things which young people, I think, feel quite acutely and they do feel like they've lost it. And there is nothing in this deal which safeguards those interests. We hit control find on the withdrawal agreement when it was published and there was not a single mention of young people, students, Erasmus. Uh, So it really is, everything is still in limbo. So the idea that this deal really clarifies uh, or puts to bed any of the anxieties that young people have uh, is complete rubbish. So we're, we're very angry. Obviously, the, the, you know, the, the, one of the first things about Brexit is that young, a lot of young people couldn't vote for it when the referendum happened two years ago and they're now a voting age and their future's happening without them, without their say. Um, but what are the other ways in which Brexit is, is going to affect young people and why, um, you know, what led you to starting OFOC? What was it about the, the way in which it's going to affect young people that incentivised you to do that? I think a lot of us were uh, pretty shocked at actually how overwhelming the Remain support among the younger generation was in 2016. I also think a lot of us felt incredibly guilty that we didn't do enough in 2016. Uh, Although that said, when people say that young people didn't vote in 2016, actually the turnout was twice as high as was originally anticipated and higher actually than in 2017 when there was the supposed youthquake for Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, So actually young people did really turn out in 2016, but I don't think we did enough. Uh, And I don't think that we, along with the rest of the country, really understood what the consequences of Brexit would be. And I think around Christmas last year, a lot of these things started to become more clear to us. It started to become just blindingly obvious how much of a mistake it would be from our perspective for us to leave and how important really the voices of young people could be uh, in the debate if they were employed effectively. So we thought it was really important that young people played a role. And that was kind of the motivation behind us starting the campaign. 
Sure. What What are the things? That, I mean, because obviously uh, there are some very obvious things, such as uh, it's going to affect jobs, which uh, young people are going to need jobs in the future. Um, are there any other sort of main areas in which this affects uh, people uh, sort of under thirty, under twenty five, more than the older generation? Yeah. Well, I think um, the recent the withdrawal in the withdrawal agreement, the recent proposal that. Uh, freedom of movement will be capped for those who are earning over £30,000. I mean, what young person starts a job unless they're in the city on over £30,000? That's insane. So the idea that we grew up thinking about the opportunity to be able to travel to the continent and to explore employment prospects there, but also to be able to start a family there if we wanted to, to live there, to travel there, all of those things are going to be hugely curtailed. Uh, and it is it is, a, it is a massive, massive disappointment to us. And I think it, it really goes against something which young people find... Uh, hugely important to them they are outward looking as a generation uh, they do really care about the opportunity to travel and, and to work abroad and that's something which I think a lot of them feel feel hugely let down by but you're right I think the main thing is is again jobs and opportunities even in this country the idea that we are going to be losing so much money from Brexit and we did a report uh, with the LSE and Oxford academics recently uh, which said your major wrote the forward for uh, which showed that young people could lose up to £108,000 in the next 50 years uh, depending on what Brexit that is. I mean, that is a huge amount of money. Uh, and so I think that young people, although we talk about numbers and people say make it personal, make it personal, I think the actual loss of earnings and, and the way that it's going to really affect our financial situation is something which young people should be really angry about. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the, the, also, the, you know, they've got to live with it for longer, which sort of put it bluntly. <laughs> no, absolutely no offence to older people listening to this podcast, but younger people are going to have to live with the effects of this for a, a much longer period of time. Um, I, I want to ask, and I, I sort of always feel like I have to apologise before we go into Brexit chat, because it's all that the world is at the moment. Um, but obviously, at OFIC, um, you are still campaigning for a, a people's vote. Uh, and what would you, because the, the question that's come up time and time again when various politicians have talked about it is they don't know but what options could be on this ballot so what are our future our choice campaigning for what options would you want on the ballot would it be more than two would you still want a remain option or is it now just on the ways in which the deal should go i mean it, you know we've moved we've, we're at now a certain stage where it feels like things are becoming f final so what would you campaign for now yeah and i'm actually i always feel quite optimistic when people ask this question because i think it's really moving into the practicalities of what a people's vote would look like whereas kind of six or plus months ago it seemed absurd and people kind of would shoot you down as soon as you mentioned it and now we're actually in the nitty-gritty of talking about how this will work and what we'll put on the ballot paper i personally think that because remain is the most popular option in the country now and polling has shown that with a public opinion shift i think it would be ridiculous not to have remain on the ballot paper and obviously as a young person and as somebody who's campaign campaigning for that uh, I think obviously I'm going to want to put remain on the ballot paper but I do think that it has to be on there because I think it's the best deal that we have I think even Theresa May has basically admitted that it's the best deal that we have so I think it would be silly if we didn't have it on there I also think that uh, and this is a controversial view I suppose that I think no deal is like the most catastrophic thing that we could possibly do uh, that's not particularly controversial, but I don't think that it should be on the ballot paper because I don't think that, and I think many politicians have made it very clear that they're not they're not able to look their constituents in the eye and let that happen. Uh, it would be a, it would be a disaster. So I think it should be a, deci a decision on on a people's vote between uh, Remain and the deal that Theresa May has negotiated. That said, I can see why people like Justine Greening, uh, for example, and Joe Johnson have proposed the three way. Uh, decision ultimately it's not for me to decide if it happens it will be for MPs to decide uh, and it's a very complicated issue but I think that uh, getting the people's vote is the most important thing and, and having a remain option is absolutely essential
Sure. I mean, I suppose it's the other thing as well that, that I feel isn't mentioned enough, but that a no deal is the default if we don't have a deal. So <laughs> voting for it seems pointless when it is what will happen if, if they don't sort anything else out. Um, so the more complicated questions, and I should say that, that as, as my listeners know, um, I am a, a Remainer and I, you know, I would love a Remain option on a people's vote. But obviously there are, there are issues with people's vote in terms of things like uh, legislation needing to be completed before it goes ahead. And obviously Brexit now is due to take place on March the 29th with whatever happens after transition period etc etc but have is there time to for a people's vote to go ahead don't do other things need to happen first like a a general election which there probably also isn't time for an article 50 extension you know what uh, is a people's vote plausible with what little time we have Yes, I think, I mean, ultimately, I think we would need to extend Article 50. And this is something which the Roadmap to a People's Vote, a recent report uh, published with Lord Kerr as its author, I think they found that, that we would need to extend Article 50. But all the assurance, all the signs that we've had from EU27 leaders is that they would be very happy to grant that extension if it were for a people's vote. They wouldn't be happy to grant that extension, in my opinion, if we were to say we want a general election or we want something else, which actually really would not make it particularly clearer the, what kind of Brexit outcome we want. I don't think that a general election uh, would make it particularly clear to anybody uh, exactly what the solution to Brexit should be. We tried it in 2017, it still left a lot of questions unsolved. Uh, and so I think that there definitely is time for a people's vote. We need an extension of, of Article 50. Obviously, there are other issues about European Parliament elections, but these aren't insurmountable. Uh, if the public will, it's to have a people's vote, and it's becoming increasingly clear that that's so, uh, then there's definitely, definitely time to do it. And pushing back Article 50 in order to have that, um, I think the EU would allow, and I think it, it, we'd be able to have that campaign. We'd obviously need to get the question sorted. There are other questions hanging about. But I think when we've got such an issue of huge importance uh, and the impetus is there, I just think it is it is going to be solvable and we will be able to do it. So step one would be obviously getting the government to uh, approve a people's deal. But I suppose if May's deal is voted against, then that's uh, where else do they go? Yeah, yeah, precisely. And I mean, at the moment, I don't see any route through the parliamentary gridlock other than to have a people's vote on this. There's not a majority in parliament for anything at the moment. I mean, there's certainly not a majority for May's deal. Whichever way you crunch the numbers, I don't see any way in which, at least in the first vote, she is going to be able to get this deal through. And so I think, although she said, you know, I will not be prime minister uh, well, if we have a people's vote, uh, you know, we absolutely, I'm absolutely completely categorically ruling out a second referendum. Ultimately, I think it will, it will boil down to the only option out of the mess, I think. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. 
But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we'll be back with Laura in a minute, but first... I was going to use this week's Brexit fallout to go through what's in the political agreement between the UK and the EU and all that sort of jazz. And by jazz, I mean a series of disjointed sounds improvised together by someone who plays instruments like they're clutching them as they're falling down the stairs. And I say that as somebody who likes jazz. But it looks like none of it will get through the Commons anyway, so what's the point? And look, I know you can't predict anything in politics anymore. There is a chance that before it gets a meaningful vote in the Commons on December the 11th, that everyone will be so entranced by May's chat about her deal, as she said in the Commons, it's a historic moment and it must be approached in the right way, that they'll all approach it in the right way and turn up blindly walking backwards into it and then be too injured to vote. Or maybe Labour will decide after five days of debate on it that actually what the worst of all worlds needs are a series of policies that help those in the worst world make the best of it because even in a children and men scenario people still need a living wage. Or maybe everyone will have given up by then and gone home. Or maybe May will just vanish, the vote not go ahead, everything halts and then years later she's discovered off her face on peyote in the desert wearing a terrified coyote as a hat. Who actually knows? But based on what we understand right now it's most likely that no one except Steve Barkley will vote for May's deal and it'll be a resounding defeat. So, what happens then? You know, apart from all of us laughing at the Prime Minister yet again, having a terrible time with an idea that she thought was good, before then crying as we realise there's now even less time to actually make this not awful. To pass her deal through the Commons, May needs 320 votes, and with at least 90 Conservatives likely to vote against it, and most of Labour, apart from a few idiots, and the SNP, and Lib Dems, and Caroline Lucas on her own or hardcore, then it'll be pretty hard for May to win. She summoned Labour MPs, you know, in the way a sorcerer would, to a private briefing, which will have happened by the time you've heard this. But I can't imagine what she's going to say during that that will get many of them on her side. Especially after an amendment to the finance bill passed last week, meaning that she now has to say how the current plan compares to staying in the EU. And the answer to that was, well, not very well, which is, of course, a shock to absolutely no one. In case you've missed them so far, these selling points of May's deal really are it upsets Brexiteers and Remainers all at once, it's not as good as still being in the EU, it's that or a no deal or a no Brexit, and sorry to everyone in Gibraltar, but hey, learning Spanish isn't that hard. De acuerdo? Do you feel persuaded? It's like the worst would you rather ever. Would you rather get hit in the face with my fist, an axe, or not get hit in the face? If May doesn't get 320 votes, then it means the government has 21 days to come back with a revised and hopefully better deal. 21 days after December the 11th, anyone? Anyone? Uh, Yes, you at the back with the hair and the tail. That's correct. New Year's Day. Start as you mean to go on, as they say. What better day for old acquaintances to not be forgotten, etc, etc. MPs will have to reconvene on New Year's Day to vote on whatever May has hashed out over Christmas. But before that, she'll have to get it past the EU again. Even the European Commissioner and cartoon vol, Jean-Claude Juncker, has said that this current deal is the best deal possible. Of course, he may be saying possible, as in considering we're dealing with idiots, in which case they may be up for some changes. But they don't want changes to the backstop or any of the other important bits on the European Court of Justice or the UK's alignment possible staying in the customs union stuff. If May manages to get it past the EU, then it probably won't have changed that much in time for Parliament's second vote. So then that won't go through, very likely, in which case then hello no deal as a default if no plan can be decided on, or maybe a people's vote if May caves into that despite saying it won't happen 
1,500 times, but hey, she may go on a walk over Christmas and change her mind because isn't fresh air just amazing? Or Parliament could force the government to extend or revoke Article 50, as has been admitted in the text of its failed application to appeal to the Supreme Court to not refer to Article 50 law to the European Court. <sighs> but May has also said that won't happen because she's the worst. Or the government could come back with a Norway-style option where we stay part of the European Free Trade Association and can therefore be part of the European Economic Area. Or a Canada super plus minus divided equals aubergine emoji option, but the EU hasn't agreed to those and some of the EEA countries have already specified that they don't really want to hang out with us because we suck. Of course, May could also just resign and cause the government to collapse. The DUP pull out of the deal with the Conservatives and cause the government to collapse. Various government ministers resign and cause the government to collapse. All of those causing a general election or Labour to try to pull together a minority emergency government. Or aliens could invade or the sun could explode. Or more likely, the ancient giant that sleeps under Westminster could wake up and use magic to turn everyone into llamas. Or something else equally as hopeful. The other wild card in play is that because of the National Crime Agency investigation into Leave Funder and face drawn onto an ulcer, Aaron Banks, and Vote Leave also losing their judicial review challenging the Electoral Commission's decision that they illegally overspent, a High Court case on whether Brexit should be declared void in light of these allegations is being fast-tracked. In a case brought by Croft solicitors representing UK citizens living in EU countries, the High Court could decide by Christmas that because of Theresa May's refusal to act on the growing evidence of illegality in the Leave campaigns, that her decision to trigger Article 50 is void. Yeah, see, you know what to put on your list to Santa. And then if they do that, uh, who knows? Parliament haven't responded to the case other than being expected to have Sir James EDQC as their defence, who was in charge of unsuccessfully fighting for the government to trigger Article 50 without parliamentary approval. So hey, here's the second time unlucky. So that's either a no-deal Brexit, a no-Brexit, a void Brexit, an extended Brexit, a totally new Brexit, or aliens. I suppose May is right to an extent in that a vote for her deal does mean less uncertainty, but when the certain is the national anthem played on a stylophone by an asthmatic pig and all the other possibilities could be jazz, good or bad, then roll on Christmas because I can't wait for the Queen's speech to feature a nervous-looking Lizzie tooting on a saxophone. And now, back to Lara. And I'm going to apologise before I ask you this question as well. But we've had, um, uh, in fact, uh, a couple of people on this podcast, including a political historian, uh, David Runciman, who was, when he was talking about sort of the history of democracy, talked about when uh, you sort of... And I, I, I'm not. I think a people's vote is democratic, and of course, all votes are democratic. That's what the point of voting is. Um, but when you sort of subvert democracy in any way, that it can cause to sort of an uprising. And he didn't mention Brexit in particular. But is is there a danger that if there is another vote, that all the people who did vote last time would be, you know, would be feel like they still aren't being listened to, or you know, is it? I mean, in my head, I think it's just another opportunity to vote for the same thing again, isn't it? But are are there any problems of doing it? Do you think? Um, I think you have to be incredibly careful with it, and I certainly think people in our campaign do need to think about these things quite seriously. But I would say that um, a lot of Leave voters, obviously, we've seen have changed their mind, uh, and I would also say that it's not the same question. It's not a rerun. It's saying. Uh, that we've got the deal in front of us and we can now look at that deal and decide whether or not we think that deal is good enough for our country uh, and whether or not it is actually what we what we voted for in 2016 when we opted to leave. Uh, and we've had we've had two years. I don't think that democracy died in June 2016. I think it's an ongoing process and I think this really would be the culmination of that process and the culmination of two years of, of much more constructive debate than that which we had before the referendum. Uh, and an opportunity really to say whether we whether we want to go ahead with this. So I don't. I think I think there are definitely concerns. I, I don't think I don't think that uh, they are a reason not to have a people's vote. I think we just need to be completely careful uh, with the way that the campaign is run and, and going from there. 
Oh, a campaign that people think about. That's such a nice idea, isn't it? I just I feel like I feel like Brexit has uh, not shown as much of that for the past couple of years. Um, I wanted to ask, obviously, and I, I don't want to quell your optimism because it's lovely to speak to someone that's actually optimistic about the possibility of this coming out. Okay, um, is there a Brexit outcome that you know if if there isn't a people's vote, if there isn't a sort of Remain option, is there a Brexit outcome that could? work like what's the least worst scenario is that May's deal or is there something else yeah this is a, I think this is a really interesting question actually and it's something which I for myself am guilty of not thinking about enough because I think I and people at our future our choice are just super tunnel visioned at the moment in terms of getting a people's vote and I spend all my time thinking about how everything just pales um, compared to the deal that we currently have with with the EU I just do not see any situation in which we can have a deal which is as good as that that said obviously if if she does miraculously get her deal through we're going to have to think about that and I don't think that we can just wash our hands and walk away from this and say that because we haven't won a remain option we therefore have no interest in ensuring that we secure the best Brexit possible then again I think May's deal we say you know it's and the EU asserts this is the only deal possible you know there's no no way revisiting May's deal really is the worst of all worlds and I found it bizarre doing debates and standing next to people who I used to, you know, be incredible. I used to disagree with hugely. And we're all saying the same thing. Even, the, you know, the Brexiteers are saying, we hate this deal. I'm saying, I hate this deal. It really is the worst for worlds. And I don't believe that the, the logic of compromise in the sense that nobody is pleased by anything. I don't think that works here at all. And I think that we really have to be careful when we talk about what is, you know, what is what is the best Brexit? I think people, EEA, for example, is just. I th- I think it politicians who are currently peddling EEA or an EEA for now. I just think it's incredibly misguided, especially when there is still a chance to have a people's vote. And I think when we've still got that chance and we've still got that glimmer of hope to be able to push for Remain, I don't see why we should be thinking about alternatives. I think we should be going all all heads in for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's again. I know sort of people have mentioned the Norway option, things like that, but there are ways around that that could incorporate Northern Ireland if they, oh, if they wanted them. <laughs> as, as I said, it's so nice speaking to someone like yourself who's optimistic about the possibilities of this. So, uh, um, I wanted to ask as well that obviously, um, Brexit is one area where young people are being hugely neglected, but also so many other areas uh, of current politics, housing crisis, tuition fee costs, youth support cuts. Um, it feels like young people generally being ignored uh, by politicians at the moment. What do you think it's going to take to kind of persuade MPs in future to pay attention to their needs? Do we do we just need to wait for a new generation of politicians to arrive? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I always, I kind of oscillate between thinking that I'm quite hopeful about it because I see way more young people being engaged in political campaigns now than I think in my lifetime. Uh, and I think the March in London where 700,000 people came tons of young people there it was incredible to see and I think you've seen Extinction Rebellion recently with climate change protests Uh, you've seen a ton of different campaigns like Period Poverty which young people have really led and have been incredibly effective and so that does make me does make me hopeful but then on the other side of that MPs listening is is another is a big jump and I think that different things like the onward think tank which the conservative party set up a few months ago at the beginning of the year uh which did their own polling and found that 44 percent of of young people would never consider voting conservative those sort of things should send huge huge shocks i think into westminster uh especially for the conservative party for example that they're losing young people and they can't possibly expect to be a party for the future if if young people consider themselves completely un unlikely ever really to vote for them so I think there's there's a real urgency I think from Westminster from politicians to really think about how they can communicate with young people and how they can respond to their concerns 
And obviously, uh, one way um, to make politicians pay attention to young people is through campaigns like uh, Our Future, Our Choice. Um, so, very importantly, how can listeners get involved in your campaign? Um, and can you tell us about some of the um, events and campaigns that you've got at the moment? Yeah, of course. So uh, you can go to our website, which is www.ofoc.co.uk, uh, and you can get involved via the website. We have uh, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, all the usual social media channels, which you can also get involved with. Uh, through that uh, we have over 30 university groups across the country we have some regional groups too uh, and you can find them on our website and, and see whether you want to join and get involved with events at any of those uh, we had this weekend we were in brussels on our on our battle bus uh, and tomorrow we will be in parliament staging a takeover where over 200 young people will be coming to try and meet their MPs to talk about Brexit. And they've tried to arrange meetings. Some of them have managed to, some of them haven't. Uh, lots of them have got uh, pieces published in their regional papers, for example. So that's one of the things we're doing. We'll also we'll be doing a protest in Stormont with our amazing uh, Northern Ireland group there in the next couple of weeks, which will be brilliant. But really, we're just mobilising as many young people and trying to hold as many events with local MPs and target MPs in the next two weeks before the all-important vote uh, in December so it's kind of all, all eyes on that but please do get involved especially if you're a young person but even if you're not it's great for people to be engaged with the campaign and to be seeing what we're doing and um, last question which is something that I ask everybody I interview on this show um, apart from yourselves obviously um, what other campaigns or writers or commentators or anyone really um, would you recommend listeners follow for you know solid actual Brexit information and opinions and possibilities you know who do you go to who do you like reading uh, or, or, or looking up yeah, well, in terms of campaigns, uh, For Our Future's Sake is the other anti-Brexit uh, youth group who we work with really closely, and they're fantastic, so I would definitely recommend uh, following them, and obviously the People's Vote campaign. Uh, Women for a People's Vote are a great campaign as well, who are bringing kind of diverse female voices together to discuss Brexit, and I would recommend them too. But in terms of commentators, I love Nick Cohen. I think he's absolutely fantastic. I like Philip Collins. I think Marina Hyde is hilarious. Polly Toynbee is also great uh, i listen to F the ft politics podcast which is once a week which is good it's just a kind of digest of different events so those are those are some kind of things that i usually i usually go to but there are lots of great things out there i think you know twitter is a great thing if you follow the right people it's a great way to stay up to date with with stuff but it can feel quite consuming and politico playbook's obviously good because you can just read it in the morning and find out what's going on Thanks to Lara for chatting with me. Our future, our choice can be found at ofoc.co.uk, on Twitter at ofocbrexit and on Facebook too. Lara is also on Twitter at Lara underscore spirit. And I should also say that on a lot of interviews by idiots, OFOC reps have been questioned on who funds them, usually because the person questioning them has links with somewhere like the Taxpayers Alliance who won't reveal their donors. And so they just assume that everyone else's priorities and reasons for campaigning must be dodgy as well. Well, OFOC clearly state the three groups that power them on their website, uh, Best for Britain, Open Britain and the European Movement. And look, it's pretty easy to look all of them up, find all of their CEO and board members and just see for yourself. It really does make me wonder how people get top journalists presenting jobs when they can't even investigate the front page of a website. You can find out all about OFOC's campaigns via their website and obviously right now they've got quite a lot on that you can take part in if you wish. I am of course up for interviewing a pro leave person if you can find me one who might actually answer questions without getting defensive and who wants to come on the show. Um, so if you have any suggestions do let me know. I mean let's get Michael Caine on that would be amazing you know if he's not locked in his attic. Um, next week's interview is also on Brexit lines sort of and after that I'm once again in need of guests. So who would you like me to interview and what about? Let me know by dropping me a line at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or by email at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com.
gmail.com. Or you could write it on a sombrero, write my address on that sombrero and then post it to me and then it will never reach me because the postman will keep getting attacked by birds who think it's an egg riding a bike. It's probably probably just best to email, isn't it? That's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thanks to you and your tympanic membranes for vibrating correctly to these sounds. If you do enjoy the show, please, please do spread the word about it to all who may listen. And for those who don't listen, why not draw them a series of explanatory pictures? You know, perhaps using crayon or charcoal or the blood of those who've previously not listened to your wisdoms. OK, maybe not the last one. Please review the show on whichever pod app you use if it allows reviews. And if it doesn't, send them the blood of previous apps you did not let you review to prove your point. Sorry, ignore that last bit. I've had a lot of coffee. And donate to the Kofi or Patreon pages if you have dosh and value this show enough to buy me a coffee or pay with your blood, you PR. Sorry, sorry again, people. Much thankings to Acast for hosting this show and its lovely bill of noises, to my brother The Last Skeptic for his musical soundings, and to Cat Day for typing up all the linear liner notes for the website, as always. This will be back next week when Theresa May will insist that if ministers don't back her deal, then the bedbugs will bite and she won't send them a Christmas card and she heard that they're going to have bad sex for at least 11 years. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Theresa May's Page Fillers. Do you have a lot of pages that you need pointless writing on? Are you constantly worried that if people see all the blank paper you have, they'll think you do absolutely nothing? Well, hire May's Page Fillers and we can expertly fill up to 585 pages with lots of words that individually mean something, but when read together sound like complicated nonsense, so everyone will assume you've tried your best or at least thought about it once. Order from us today and we'll have a fat wadge of babble with you in approximately two years. Theresa May's page fillers churning out lots of nothing really, really slowly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.